Acts chapter 13. We're um, in the part of Acts where we're looking at the first missionary journey of Paul. And so um, just to catch everybody up to speed, church has been planted uh, in Jerusalem. The center, if you will, of the church has kind of shifted now to Antioch um, in Syria there. And um, uh, uh, they just in the earlier part of chapter 13 from last week, uh, Barnabas and Saul have been set apart from the, uh, by the church uh, for the work of spreading the gospel throughout uh, the known world at the time. And so we're catching up on this kind of first excursion into that. Um, previously, they have uh, journeyed over um, to Cyprus, where Barnabas is from. Uh, they ministered there, preached the gospel there, encountered a magician there, um, did some spiritual warfare there. Some good stuff happened, some crazy stuff happened. And now we're picking up in verse 13, chapter 13. Verse 13, and today it's a good story, folks. It's a good story. And because it's a good story, we're going to try to tell it just like it is and make commentary kind of along the way, but it's a good story. Verse 13, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And just in case you forgot to brush up on your first century um, Middle Eastern geography, anybody... So they left Cyprus, the island in the Mediterranean, and they sailed to the southern coast of what's modern-day Turkey. That's what we're talking about here. Everybody got this in your brain now? Good. Okay, great. All the rest of you pagans, quit listening. I'm just going to have a conversation with her. And John... That's John Mark left uh, and returned, left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. Now they left Antioch before, and now they're back at Antioch. No, different Antioch. Anybody get confused by people having the same town? Like you've got Paris, France, and then you've got real Paris, Paris, Texas. Right? You don't want to be confused about those things. This is Antioch in Pisidia, not the same Antioch that they left from. And on the Sabbath day, they went um, into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, began to speak. And now don't miss this. Saul, um, who we call Paul, uh, was the last person mentioned in the list in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. But now we see him beginning to be the spokesman for the gospel throughout the known world. So God's doing a transforming work in him. And the more he steps into ministry opportunities, the more ministry opportunities happen for him. Can I say that one more time, just in case you missed it? The more he stepped into ministry opportunities, the more ministry opportunities happened, occurred, were opened to him. That's going to be true in your offices this week, your classrooms this week, your relationships this week, your neighborhoods this week. He says, verse 16, middle of verse 16, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he, I love this phrase, he put up with them in the wilderness. Anybody have a parenting moment like that this, this week? For 40 years, God put up with them. At verse 19, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of uh, the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. 
And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Let's just pause right there for a minute. Um, I think it's important to say out loud to one another um, some things out of this story here, because it's a good story. And I want to start with this one. Um, It's an old story. And why is that important? Because God's been telling this story for a long, long time. He started with um, uh, Abraham, and he began to uh, get for himself, choose for himself a people, and he makes a nation out of them, and they begin to spread out, and they end up in Egypt, and then he raises up Moses to be their deliverer. He delivers them out of the land of Egypt, putting up with them for 40 years in the wilderness, brings them into the promised land in Joshua, um, and then uh, they have a set of judges. Samuel, the judge and prophet, comes on the scene. They appoint a king named Saul. He didn't work out so well. So he's out, David is in, David had his own set of issues, Solomon his son, the kingdom is divided, on and on and on, into captivity, out of captivity, now back to rebuild, and all of this stuff is happening, right? And here's what I want to say, it's an old story that God's been telling for a long, long time. You and I get to be a part of this. And the the application for me goes something like this. If God's not finished telling this story yet, because he's not, In fact, some of the things that we're going to read here are still reverberating today across the world. There are people meeting in uh, places, some who can't sing loud like y'all were just honking off while ago. Amazing to listen. Some can't sing loud because they're afraid the state police are going to come in and arrest them. So some, some are um, under huts or under a tree in, in some place in Africa or some other... There are reverberations from what this story is right here. There are reverberations that are still happening around the world. God's been telling this story for a long time, but he's not finished yet. And here's the application. If God's not finished telling this story yet, do you think he's finished telling your story yet? I think that there are folks in here who believe that somewhere along the way, a period was put at the end of your sentence. And the page was turned. And whatever it was, whatever chapter, it had the final say over your life. There was a set of missionaries, a couple, a married couple, coming home, early 1900s. They, this, you know, it's the early 1900s, so it's not like you catch a United flight into the big airport. You know what I mean? There's no TSA pre-check. There's no, like, none of that stuff. So they're, they're, they have sown and given their lives away for decades in Africa. And they have seen the kingdom of God come. They have seen miracles, and they've seen people get saved. They've seen churches started. They have seen uh, important societal changes. They have, they have seen the kingdom of God come among the people uh, to whom they were ministering. So it has come time. For, they have been faithful to report to their um, their supervisors and the board that sponsored them. They've written articles for magazines. They've done all these kinds of things. And it comes time for them to retire. And they're moving back to the U.S. And so they board a, uh, a, um, a 1900s cruise ship, right? A steamer um, to cross the Atlantic. And uh, they notice that there are some, there's some press on board reporters. And so it was the 1900s, early 1900s. And so this was the day and age where uh, people 
um, uh, could and, and did, as a matter of fact, reporters would report on missionary activity that happened across the world and actually put it in papers of record and that kind of thing. And so they thought, oh, well, maybe uh, people, they're here for us and maybe they're going to ask us these questions and get the, we'll get the opportunity to tell of all the things that Jesus has been up to among these people. And not a single reporter asked them anything. Turns out there was somebody else on board who had just come back from a safari, some guy named Teddy Roosevelt. Anybody heard of him? They were there to cover him. So they, they, they come into port and they're like, well, okay, so we didn't get the reporter thing, uh, but, and, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, okay, fine. Uh, uh, but our people will be there to meet us and that will be a good thing. So they go to disembark from the ship and there's nobody there to meet them. Turns out the wires had been crossed and they thought it was the day after the people had arrived. So they walk off the ship with their luggage and are all of their earthly belongings, frankly, are like, I guess we're here and in this alone. They settle into their apartment. The husband, as you can imagine, is fuming. And the wife, being a sweet wife, a good wife, looks at her husband and says, Honey, you need to go for a walk. Fine. So off he goes. He walks. He's gone quite a while. He comes back and he's a completely changed man. He's got kind of a little skip in his step. His chin is lifted. He's got a smile on his face. His eyes are bright. And the uh, wife looks at the husband and says, did you hit the bar? Why be like, what happened to you in the time that you were gone? Well, honey, this is the way that it went. I went on a walk and I'm beginning to pour out all my complaints. God, we did this to you. We left our homes and our families and everything that we knew and we sacrificed for you, not for a year, not for two years, but not for a decade, for decades, plural. And we sowed our lives into this people and we saw you reap uh, uh, amazing fruit from this and we were faithful to um, uh, study our Bibles and to teach the Bible and to pray and to heal and to bless and do all of these kind of things. We struggled. We went without so that other people could have. We were faithful to report back so that people would know of your work and so that people would have this testimony and be encouraged by this. We did all of this and we came home and there was nothing. And then God said to me, Son, who said you were home yet? And I say that to say this. God has been telling this story for a long time. Who are you? Or who is that person? Or that boss? That parent? That ex? That whomever? Who are you to put a period at the end of the story that God is still telling? You're not home yet. That's gonna, you put that in your pocket. Hold on to that because we're coming back to that here in just a minute. It's an old story. It's a good story. It's an old story. It's also a hero story. Uh, verse 23, of this man's offspring... God has brought to Israel a Savior, as He promised. Before His coming, John, excuse me, John, that's John the Baptist, had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not He. I am not He. 
No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Death really was arrested, folks. Verse 31, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he's spoken this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says also in another Psalm, this is Psalm 16, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. He died. And was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. It's a hero story. Okay, so confession time. I know I will alienate many of you when I say this. I am not a unique fan of the DC or Marvel comic movies that are all the rage right now. You can throw stones at me later, okay? I'm just not a fan. It's not really my thing. I don't necessarily get it all. I don't understand that world. However... It is a world in which, would you agree with this, interesting characters abound. Would everybody agree with that? There's all sorts of crazy characters in that. Um, And and in this particular story, interesting characters abound also. You've got Abraham, uh, not a perfect man, but yet God used him. You've got Moses. He was a murderer, by the way, and had an anger issue. Ended up beating rocks instead of speaking to them. All sorts of other things happened. Not a perfect man. Um, Ran off from some of the problems instead of facing them. Uh, Didn't really get employed to what God was choosing to do with him until 80 years old. So, I mean, he's not a perfect man. David. Um, the main king in Israel's history, the king to whom everybody else compares, a king that um, God in this passage goes, David's a man after my own heart who's going to do all of my will. Well, he had an issue or two with Bathsheba. I mean, like there's some things there that are, that are equally true. Um, man after my own heart and an adulterer and a murderer. Those two things are true. And you've got um, Saul, Saul, the first king of Israel, whose insecurities made the Grand Canyon look like a divot in the ground. I mean, just like he is not a good leader, right? I just, you've got all of, and all of this stuff just unfolds. Even John the Baptist, it's mentioned here, John the Baptist, he's not worthy, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He gets thrown in prison and he sends messengers to Jesus like, hey man, are you really the guy? Should I expect somebody? Not that anybody's ever hit hard circumstances and doubted, right? Okay. Interesting characters abound. So I'm not a fan of this DC Marvel stuff. I'm just not. I don't get it. I don't understand. I understand that they're interesting characters, but 
the, the crazy thing in my mind somewhat about this, or uh, interesting thing about it, is they're, they're all flawed, right? Every one of their, the, the characters are flawed. They have some issue there. M. Night Shyamalan's got a, a new movie coming out, you know, with Bruce Willis and uh, Samuel Jackson coming back. And, you know, like they're flawed characters, flawed superheroes. And we kind of, ex- we've grown to expect that. And I think the greatness of the DC slash Marvel group of all of those stuff, I think the greatness is they point to something deeper in us. We all want a hero. Somebody worth following. Somebody who's going to save the day. Somebody who's going to do something for us. And in this story, it's why it's such a good story. Out of all of the cast of interesting characters, one hero emerges. And his name is Jesus. He, the hero, overcomes, if you will, um, or if, makes a profound comeback. I mean, coming back from the dead, that's pretty profound. Anybody with me on that? Overcomes unbelievable odds in order to help those who need help with their deepest need. That's a good hero story. And some people think, well, I mean, in Jesus' life, I mean, like, He could be a political hero. He could come in and just wipe Rome out. That was a lot of what these people expected. Jesus was going to rule the world by destroying the current empire of the day. Jesus is like, that's nothing. I can do that just like, I mean, nothing. That's way too small of a goal. I'm not a political savior for a political situation. And it's not a a, a personal situation. He's not going to come into your life and make sure that everything is better. That's not really who Jesus is or what he's about. Now, can we just call a little time out here? Like, there are people all over the planet and all over your TVs who will be glad to tell you that Jesus is coming into your life to make sure that everything goes right for you. Everything moves up and to the right, okay? And so if you've got the right kind of faith and the right amount of faith, you're never going to get sick and you always get the promotion and things are going to just go like this. Everything's up and to the right. And to prove that you have the right kind of faith and the right amount of faith, you know what you need to do? Send me some money. Listen, that is a very large load of manure. Don't listen to them. Don't do it. Don't do it. Jesus is not in the business of making your life better. He's in the business of transforming your life. And so this hero comes not to solve a political situation or a personal situation. This hero comes to solve our deepest need. Remember, he he makes a, a profound comeback, overcoming unbelievable odds to meet the deepest needs of the people who need help. And what is our deepest need? It's a sin problem. It's a sin problem. And that's what he says back in verse 27. Uh, And those who live in Jerusalem, excuse me, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets. God had been telling them about this, which are read every Sabbath. They fulfilled these prophecies by condemning him. And though they found in him, don't miss this, no guilt worthy of death. Our hero is not some flawed character on a screen. Our hero is, is a sinless Savior. 
No guilt worthy of death. They asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Listen, we have a sin problem. Our sin separates us from God by nature and choice. We are separated from God and we need somebody to come in and deal with that deepest need. Enter Jesus, our hero. The one who steps in for us. The one who comes for us. And no one can do this. No one can be this kind of hero but Jesus. Moses, he's dead. He can't help you. David, he's dead. He can't help you. Only one. Our perfect hero, Jesus. It's a good story because it's a hero kind of story. And this is the last part. This is the part that I love. I mean, as awesome as all that stuff is, it's our story. Verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. It's our story. What story is that? It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of of God looking out on his people and then pursuing um, a, a solution to their deepest, most profound problem. It is not a societal issue. It is a sin issue. That's our problem. We are separated from God because of who we are and because of the bent of our heart as well as the actions that we take in response to that. We are separated from God and we can't do anything whatsoever to make it up to Him, to get back to Him in any way. We can't build the bridge to span the chasm that is that. We can't. So we need God to forgive us. Not because we earn it, not because we do the dance, not because we have a religious right that we go through. We need God to forgive us. And forgiveness is part of our story. And if you're in here and you sinned this week, does that apply? I'll just check in. If you're in here and you sinned this week, I've got great news. God is a God of forgiveness. And every amount of sin, excuse me, every amount of forgiveness that you experience for your sin is found in and through Jesus. And every amount of, of, uh, of forgiveness that you experience um, will come uh, and cover not just some of your sin, not just the sin that people know about, but all of it. This is Colossians chapter 2. Don't, Paul, the speaker here, writes this. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, meaning were spiritually Dead, disconnected from God. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, we are, we are not set apart or marked by the gospel in any way. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us. Somebody help me now. What's that next word? All. How many? All. All our trespasses. So if you have any forgiveness today, any at all, you have all forgiveness today. Why? Because you're so forgivable. No but because Jesus' sacrifice is so unbelievably good. How did he do that? By canceling the record of debt that, con- that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So the picture that Paul is painting here is that God's got a list here, and he's looking out on your life, and he's going, oh yeah, I saw that. Yep, I saw that. Yep, yep, saw that. I heard that. I know you didn't say it out loud, but I heard it when you said, 
You said it. You didn't say it, but you said it. And he's got this list of things, right? All of the sins that you, and he's taken them down. And the Bible says he's taken those. And what's he done with them? He has nailed them to the cross. But don't miss this picture. It wasn't a piece of paper that got nailed to the cross. What was it? It was the body of Jesus that got nailed to the cross. So he became for us sin. And in doing so, he then made a way for us to be and experience forgiveness, to be forgiven and experience the forgiveness that God offers us. We don't get some forgiveness in Jesus. We get all the forgiveness that we need in Jesus and because of Jesus. And that would be awesome. Like, I'm just looking at you, you sinners, all of you out there. Like, that would be amazing if that were the end of the story. But God's not done yet. Verse 39, and by him, by Jesus, everyone who believes is set free, is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So not only forgiveness, but what also? Freedom. You and I, God not only forgives us of our sin, but also sets us free. Sets us free from what? Sets us free from our shame that accompanies our sin. Sets us free from our um, our past sets us free from all the things that, that kind of weigh us down, that goes along with that, from the, the guilt that accompanies that, and all the stuff that just, just weighs on us, wraps us up, and kind of keeps us locked up. God is saying to you, hey, I'm not only going to bestow forgiveness upon you, but now I want you to go live as a free and forgiven people. Who doesn't want to be in on that right there? Count me in. And when we scream out, free, free forever, we're free. It's because Jesus has done this for us. He not only has forgiven us, he's also freed us from our past, from our shame, from the guilt that accompanies this. We are free. Now, what would this kind of thing look like? I'm so glad you asked. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul, same author, um, same guy who's speaking, said this. It's a little bit long. Just hang in with me. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Let's just pause right there because he's very certain about this. Like he's not, he's not like posing a question as much as he is making a statement as a question. The unrighteous don't get in. That's the deal. They don't. And then the question becomes, well, who are the unrighteous? And Paul just r- runs off a list. Well, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So you want to know what some of the unrighteousness in the world looks like? Those are the kinds of things that it looks like. Here's the thing. Your favorite sin may not be up there. But guess what? Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? you You don't get a pass just because you're not on the list. And my favorite part of this passage is this. And such, somebody help me, were. Just, can we just pause right there? And glory in the past tense verb. And such were. Some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You were washed. God has made you and me ceremonially, if you will, clean, washed, 
clean so that we can come before him. We were sanctified, set apart so that we um, uh, set apart for God. So we have a a different kind of purpose in life. We don't have to live for ourselves. We can live for something bigger than ourselves, a a story, if you will, that's big enough to live in. And you were justified in the name, justified, meaning God has declared us righteous. And the final word over our lives is not what somebody else said. It's not what somebody else wrote. The final word over our lives is God's word over our lives that we are justified and made righteous, declared righteous in his sight. Talk about the story not being over yet. Some of you, you can pick stuff out of that list. I'm just looking around the room here. I I mean, I'm not sure everybody here, but um, you know, some of you play dominoes with one another and you swindle. You do. You're swindlers. We live in suburbia, so greedy basically applies to everybody. Some of you have frequent flyer miles at Specs, so, I mean, drunkards? Nobody's ever cheated on an expense report, so we'll rule out thieves. Oh. Pick your, pick your favorite sin. Here's my thing. The glory is not in the first two verses. The glory is in the past tense of the verbs in that last verse. And such were some of you. You were some of you. And don't you want to be a part of a church like that? Don't you want to be a part of the church where people come in and they're like, hey, what's your story? Well, you know, I was a reviler. I, I just reviled God. I just, I just made it my thing to make sure that he was mad at me all the time. Oh, I was basically a swindler. Like I, I you know, I was a professional swindler. I'm not sure what that means or looks like, but I mean, that's the case. I, yeah. Hey, I, I'm a, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Oh, I thought, you know, that's a, that's a present day thing for you. That's right. But that's not the final word over my life. I've been washed. I've been sanctified. I've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. And, and we just have collections of groups, like all the alcoholics, and you know, you got the the swindlers over here and the revilers. Y'all are in the back because that's I don't know you in the back. You got all the people who are, are are kind of professional religious people, the idolaters. We're just I mean, over and over again, we just worship at the idol of religion. So we got a whole group of people that, that they bow down, they they live for the approval of others, and they're like, yeah, that's who we were, but we're not that anymore. Such were some of us. Don't you want to be a part of a church like that, that lives in the such were some of us? But we, we've been made clean, and we have been given purpose, and we have been declared right in God's eyes. And our past sin, and the way that judgment has fallen upon us in the past, doesn't have the last word over us. God. I want to be a part of a church like that. That's a church that's stained with forgiveness and freedom. That's why it's such a good story, folks, because it's our story. It's our story. The only way that that comes to you and to me is by faith. It's what he says. He says it actually twice. Verse 39, by him, everyone who believes, there's faith right there. Everyone who trusts, who who has faith, and then he's... um, Skip down to verse 41. He's talking about the prophets here. He's quoting them. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, 
even if no one tells it to you. So he says it positively in 39, negatively in verse 41. The only way anybody ever gets there is by faith. Church family, listen to me. If you're a Christian in here, you're a follower of Jesus in here, your story is this story by faith, not because of your performance. If you're not a follower of Jesus in here, you're not a Christian, listen, this can be your story, but it won't be because of things that you can do to impress God. It'll be because you, by faith, turn to Him. Turn from your sins and you turn to Him. Receive forgiveness and get the freedom that He promises you. And then you know what happens? We'll finish. Here it is, verse 42. And they went out. Excuse me, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. So what? Like their life, because they were forgiven and free, and because they lived that way, it provoked a kind of curiosity in everybody else. Verse 43, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with him, urged them to continue Urge them to continue in the grace of God. Some of you are headed back to work this week. Some of you not yet because you're still furloughed. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are true about what your week will hold. You know what, though? A free and forgiven person will provoke curiosity in the people around you. And man, our world needs that. They need us to live as forgiven and free people. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask for God to settle this word on us. And if you have any prayer needs in particular, or maybe you just want to do some business with God, if you want to do it by yourself, you're welcome to come to the front or to the back. If you want to pray with somebody, please make your way to the back. There'll be folks back there to pray with you. And if you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus and to know him, to be forgiven and to live in freedom, we can talk with you about that too. Let's pray. Um, Father, just for the next moment or two, as we, as we kind of ready ourselves for the next step and lunch and all the other things, I'm praying, God, that you in this moment would settle this word down on us. Our story's not over. You're not done telling it. And God, you get to, get to do the things that change people's lives, and you can use us. So God, for every person in here, Father, please, for every person in here, I pray that they would know the forgiveness that comes through Jesus and because of Jesus. I pray that they would know the freedom from shame and guilt and anxiety and pasts and words spoken. They would, they would know freedom from that that comes through Jesus and because of him. You'd have mercy on every one of us now. Settle this down into us, and I ask that in Jesus.